Okay, welcome back to the cabin log, guys. Um, it's been a while, and I think it's largely been a while due to the kind of ambitious topic that I'm exploring here. Um, I really wanted to do this topic justice, and so I've really I've taken a while to kind of hit the books, but also to let the ideas kind of filter through my consciousness and through my day-to-day -day life in a natural way. You know, I don't want to force this out if I haven't yet digested kind of the topics to figure out exactly what I want to say about them. Um, so that's kind of one reason why it's taken me a while. And I did, um, last week, I did record the episode hoping to get it out last week. <clears throat> and I think I suffered from... A, having too much caffeine in my system directly before stepping up to the mic. And so it felt kind of like a breathless kind of ramble at very high speed. Um, but it was also, I think, due to the fact that I was recording during the daytime, which was a first. Um, and I was doing that because it's just been so freaking hot out here that oftentimes if I don't have anything to do in town, like if I don't need to go pick up, you know, materials or whatever, you know, I'm here and I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't really want to be outdoors if I don't have to be. So it's been kind of an indoor uh, little experience here, more indoor heavy experience uh, lately. Um so I said, hey, you know, let's record during the daytime. And I don't know. It just wasn't the right mood, I think. And, of course, here I am. It's 3.15, July 4th. And happy Independence Day to everybody. Um, and I'm recording during the day again. But I don't know. It feels right. So we'll give this one a shot. The topic of this episode is basically the woods and man's relationship to the woods, specifically my own. Why I feel drawn to the woods, what the woods give me back, what they do to me, how they benefit certain aspects of my life, uh, you know, why I'm drawn to them. And, in doing that, I revisited a book that somehow I came upon years ago. Um, I think maybe this woman I was living with in Santa Fe for a month while I was taking a course, her name was Lisa, I think she probably recommended it to me. She was like an old hippie kind of woman and uh, well-read. And uh, as we got to know, every day, you know, every day I'd get back from my class... And I'd be all covered in freaking coal dust and, uh, you know, stinky and dirty. And we'd sit down and we'd recap the day and we'd just have good conversations every day pretty much. And I think she recommended this book. I don't, I don't really exactly remember. But I had read it before and I knew it was important and I reread it recently. And it really is important. It's an essay by the British author John Fowles. Um, who's written many best-selling books. Uh, and it's about his connection to the woods and how it is important to man and creativity, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to be referring to that book quite a bit, I think. But I uh, also want to keep it kind of uh, you know, free-handed and uh, just kind of discuss what I feel the woods does to me and why I love it. So without further ado, uh, welcome back to The Cabin Log, Episode 7, The Woods. So, the other day I was in a bookstore, and... I was in their Florida section, and I saw a hardcover book called Bulo Hammock, B-U-L-O-W, Hammock. 
And it struck me mainly because I'm drawn to the word hammock, always have been. Um, you know, my musical recording project uh, has been called Heavy Medicine Hammock or HM Hammock and different things. But it's always centered around the idea of the hammock, um, which Floridians should know. I think most Floridians probably know what a hammock is. Not the lay-down hammock, although those are nice too. Um, it's almost an inverted form of the lay-down hammock. It's a canopy of trees. You know, it's a safe, welcoming uh, space. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a den, kind of. It's a refuge, in my interpretation of it. And I've seen different translations. I think it's a native word. Anyway, so I saw this book. And I opened up the inner jacket, you know, I read the little synopsis, and immediately I said, well, I, I, you know, I have to read this. Um, and I did. It's uh, written by this dude who's a, like, kind of naturalist nature writer, and it's about his time in this hammock, which is just east of here, uh, near Ormond Beach. It's the site of... Um, it's the site of an old uh, plantation ruins, sugar sugar mill ruins, and uh, it's a place where um, John J. Audubon went, and uh, William Bartram, you know, all these famous naturalists kind of uh, passed through there, it seems. And he writes about it on a natural level. Where the book excels really is in its description of the plants and animals and whatnot. But it opens with a quote, by Marcel uh, Proust that's basically along the lines of um, I woke up at night not knowing where I was and therefore I didn't know who I was. Um, and it spoke to me, just that quote was, was worth the price of the book because that's like at the core of kind of one of my... Uh, journeys in life that I've noticed from college age onward, at least consciously aware of it during that time period, is wanting to really understand, wherever I am, to understand as best as I can what that place is, the truth behind that location. Um, and so for that reason, like I've kind of not shunned, like I'm still down, I'm not like militantly against, but I've turned down opportunities for uh, international travel lately. Um, I haven't done much of it lately, or really ever. Um, I don't, I think, I like traveling here, you know, I, how can I travel elsewhere and learn about other places without, before really understanding where I am? And I feel that um, I see many people rushing to go to foreign places and they know nothing about their own backyard. That's fine for them, but for me, I've been on a journey to understand specifically where I am. There's plenty out here. There's plenty to travel and to explore and to learn in your own backyard. Do both, you know, but whatever. So, so yeah, so understanding where you are I've found helps you give better perspective and helps you understand who you are. Um, it's like the study of history in a way. Um, you know, to understand history helps you understand where we are now, how we got here, and why. And I think that's empowering because it helps you then move forward in an educated way. There's more to it than just coming here to feel a belonging to a sense of play to 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 this place there's more to it than just wanting to know where i'm at there's an enchanting quality of the woods that i'm drawn to and maybe at first i wasn't completely aware of why I was drawn to it or that I was even drawn to it because of the natural world. But it's very clear to me now that it's the connection to the natural world that marks the biggest difference between my home here, which I'm now calling my home, and my previous home back in the city. I am 
for example, today, I mean, and this is a very obvious example. Like, there, it does. I don't have to see wildlife every day for me to feel a connection to the natural world. Uh, it's more than that, but you know, in a, in a very obvious way, this morning I wake up around six a.m. Go out to do my morning chores with the animals, and immediately kick up two deer that run across my yard. A gorgeous sight, seeing these deer freaking galloping across the yard. Uh, I had my four cranes uh, eating the seed that I had set out for them the previous day. Uh, I let all my birds out. You know, I've got like whatever, twenty something birds now. I fed my goats. Uh, the songbirds were singing as they do in the morning. There was a little, this little rat, beautiful, I think it's a rat snake or a chicken snake or something like that, which is like this brownish gray with a red, beautiful little snake that I've seen around the barn a couple times now. He was just out there sunning in the early morning sun, and I got a good look at him. He let me get close to him, and I looked at him, and just immediately, first thing in the morning, here I am, and the place is alive. It's not like that every morning. Certain days I'll be out, I won't see one animal. You know, except for the crows or whatever is out here every day, the ants. <laughs> um, but that connection with the natural world, I think, is important. You know, that's where we all come from, right? Before we had the luxury to remove ourselves from it. A luxury that's become a, uh, an impingement. So, I come here because, for a number of reasons. I'm here for a number of reasons. It allows me to be creative 24 hours a day if I want. At any time, I can play my guitar, I can record, I can sing to myself without the fear of being heard, disturbing someone, or whatever. I feel completely at ease to... Be as weird as I want at all hours of the day. That's great. I mean, I, actually, if I think back, like the first time I came up here, I was like, man, this would be a great, you know, I was into, I still am, into loud, heavy music. I said, man, I could really crank my amp up and really just, you know, plug it. I was thinking with like a generator outside. I think I remember reading like Kaius, the desert, like stoner kind of metal band back in the day. Used to have like generators out in the desert and just freaking play their heavy and so I was like, yeah, I could do that. And I think I did that. Like the first time I brought my amp up here, I just like cranked it and whatever, hurt myself, hurt my ears. Um, so I think I had that image at first, but it delved into just more more practical. Um, it, 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 I'm sorry, it developed into a more practical uh, version of that, which is just like, man, I can really, I'm just free to, to make stuff at any hour of the day. And I don't have the feeling of being listened to or watched or whatever. I don't like that. It, it's it stifles me so yeah but it's more than just the freedom of that it's the interplay between my creativity and my place where i'm at you know i feel that my walks my chores my working of the land all the things that i end up doing here is like the other side of the coin, which when I then flip it becomes, all right, now it's processing all of that, you know, gathering my thoughts and putting it out into some sort of communicable uh, package, a song, a piece of writing, a podcast, whatever it is, um, a photograph. And so, I don't know, I, I, I really have found kind of a good balance now. Like, I, I'm, I've worked hard to make this place comfortable, but also comfortable for creativity. And I'm finally in a spot, sitting in this studio now, I've spent many hours in here now. It's starting to feel like my studio. I'm starting to understand the equipment better. I'm starting to understand the software better. These are all new things for me. I was using like a little recorder back in the day for years, for 10 years. I had this little Zoom recorder I'm looking at uh, that's shelved now. But uh, I, I felt I didn't work well in front of a computer screen, and, I, and I've gotten over that, but it's been a struggle. And so I feel I'm on the precipice of a very creative period here. 
um, it's already started. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to hit my stride with this new studio and this new setup. So I'm very excited by that. So while editing this episode, um, I kind of got the guitar in my hands and I was just strumming away, you know, and, uh, I came up with this cool little tune. So why don't I record it real quick as a little musical interlude? Here you go. So though I'm able to communicate why I love it here, why I've, I've felt drawn to here, in many ways I'm able to communicate that. You know, I, I, it's not only just a running away, it's a running towards. And I can put, as I think I've done in the past few minutes, I can put it into words. In many ways, there is an element, and perhaps that is the most important element, that I think is nearly impossible to communicate. It's something so basic, it's something so personal that I can't put into words what it is. And that's where I found a connection to Fowles in his book, The Tree. This sense of the main virtue of nature uh, and man's going to it and communing with it cannot be shared. 
it defies the camera lens. It defies the written word even, which is why his book is so fascinating. He's writing about something that he feels can't be written about. And I don't think he really, well, he alludes to it a little bit. I don't think these are not his words, but my feeling is that the natural world is heavily spiritual. I mean, if you think about it, all uh, old religion comes from people that were spending their time. Uh, it's all connected to the natural world, you know, the burning bush. You know, God coming uh, in the form of this burning bush speaking to Moses, you know, uh, it's a plant. Um, or you want to talk about the Buddha. You know, where did he reach his enlightenment? Under the Bodhi tree. You know, it's always trees, it's always plants. And these are my words, not from the book, kind of, you know. But this is a, this is a pretty fairly well-known, you know, it's an obvious concept here. And I think I found spirituality heavily here in the natural world. I think uh, you can't help it. If you're a spiritual person, whatever that means to you, you're going to have profound experiences in nature if you allow yourself to. But many of us have found it hard to do so. And in the book, Fowles kind of addresses that. Um, and he mainly points the finger at science. Um, so Fowles kind of is on attack with this scientific schooling and how that's removed us from fully experiencing nature in its purest form as pure, wild people, you know, in the true old school way that we used to. And he says, quote, that even the simplest knowledge of the names and habits of flowers or trees starts this distinguishing or individuating process. And it removes us a step from total reality towards anthropocentrism, okay? That is, it acts mentally as an equivalent of the camera viewfinder. Already, it destroys or curtails certain possibilities of seeing, apprehending, and experiencing. And that is the bitter fruit from the tree of Upsalan knowledge. To see things rawly and purely, without caring or knowing its name. To see a tree as just a tree. You know, uh, this pre-linguistic kind of, this pre-scientific kind of uh, way of seeing. I think it's important. It's psychedelic in a way. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's important. So Fowles goes on to criticize how this scientific kind of school of thought has alienated the human race from its roots in the natural world. Um, there's a quote here, he says, um, it casts nature as an opponent, as an opposite team to be out, uh, to be outwitted and beaten. Distracting us from total experience and the total meaning of nature. And that's kind of at the, you know, one of the core kind of, um, philosophies of the book is that, you know, science is good to a degree, but it has these side effects. And we felt them. We've become these city dwellers that feel separate from nature, and it's affecting us negatively. And it's affecting nature negatively. Um, in the book, he says, you know, he says that, you know, the natural world is out there for us to experience it. We just have to learn how to experience it the right way. Fowles then pits himself against the scientist, and he says that he sensed, quote, that we were talking about two different things. On their side, some ab abstract intellectual concept, on, and on mine, an experience whose deepest value lies in the fact that it cannot be directly described by any art, including that of words. What I gain most from nature is beyond words. He goes on to criticize, and this is something that I relate to big time. He says that the most harmful change brought by Victorian science in our attitude to nature lies in the demand that our relation with it 
must be purposive, industrious, and always seeking greater knowledge. All right. Darwin, he says, quote, Darwin made sentimental innocence, nature as mainly personal or aesthetic experience, vaguely wicked. So I'm going to stop for a moment here. I'm always fielding questions, and which is fine. Keep asking the questions of what I'm doing out here, why I'm here, what have I done, you know, what am I working, am I doing this, am I doing that? And that's normal, right? To be asked those questions, to feel those pressures is fine. I find it hard to communicate, you know, you yeah. not only hard to communicate, but sometimes I feel pressured to be purposive more. Uh, not, not in a honest way though in a way that's more showcasing as in a way of saying oh yeah, yeah look at what i built or look at what i did not that i had to do that i don't know if you hear that i've got my guinea fowls you know croaking outside whatever they're doing you know yipping away so there is this pressure that you know the outside world society kind of sees uh what i'm doing um as kind of wicked, you know, to go into nature, to be a hermit, God forbid, uh, you know, not that that's what I'm doing, but people see it that way, to, uh, to, to, to waste away, what are you doing, man, are you, uh, are you farming, are you, you know, and <laughs> I don't want to criticize people, many of my good friends ask these questions, and I respect them for it, but to me, it's, cast a light on this kind of pressure to be, to define our, how do we define ourselves? And I, I have to do it as well. I mean, I do, I do it, I'm guilty of the same thing. Um, what do you do, you know, for a living? What do you, what's your work? We want to define ourselves by work. Uh, and that's fine, but there's more to life than that, isn't there? What I'm doing out here is deeply personal to me and important to me in a transformative way and in an inspiring way that I can't possibly communicate in casual conversation. I can probably not communicate it at all. Um, will I be purposive? Will I be industrious? Will I be creative? Yes. But is that why I'm here? Not exactly. So, interlude number two, um, speaking of working towards things, getting things done, oftentimes I feel I'm working at things, you know, and this is a whole topic, like, in this recording that I'm editing right now that you're going to hear, I didn't really cover it in as much depth or really convey the thoughts that I constantly have about this topic, um, mainly because that's not really what this episode uh, I was intended to be about, <clears throat> but I will say this, oftentimes the work that I do is not, that I do day to day is not, um, doesn't end with something that you can see. It doesn't end with a product that you can then show off that at the end of that work. It's to build something to then do something else. For example, um, doing, you know, making this studio that I'm sitting in. Um, it will produce lots of great things, hopefully. And leading up to now, you know, I couldn't show you how I've been learning how to do X, Y, and Z. I couldn't show you, like, it would be boring to show you, uh, you know, mounting this thing on the wall, or whatever, you know. So th there's good things yet to come. And a lot of the... Uh, fruits of my labor are just uh, not very uh, camera friendly yet. But there is one thing that I would love to show off, and that's this recording that I made um, with a very special Miamian who just turned 75. Happy, happy birthday uh, to Jim Flood. His birthday uh, was on July 4th. And he's a, he's a visual artist. He's a painter. He paints nautical scenes, really beautiful stuff, um, and has been doing that for a long time. Um, but he became a friend of mine, 
and he's a very interesting dude. And one of the things, if you know him and you spent enough time around him, you'll have heard him play his piano. And so he was up here in Tavares nearby for an antique boat show. And I invited him and his wife over. I had some friends in town, and I invited them over for dinner. And I knew that Jim was going to bring his piano. And so we were all tired and sweaty from, uh, from being at the boat show two days in a row. And immediately upon getting to the house, Jim starts setting up the piano. And I say, well, this is special. You know, first of all, he drove all the way up from Miami. I don't know when I'm going to get him up at the cabin again. Second, like this is the first musician, musical act that I've had at the cabin. So I quickly hustled. And, you know, at that point, I didn't have the studio really set up. I just grabbed my little portable recorders, a couple mics, this uh, Altec, Altec, uh, what is it? I'm looking at it now. Gosh, my vision's not so good. 1566A uh, amplifier, um, which I think I put on his vocals. Yeah, I put that on his vocals. Um, I rigged this, like, badass little setup just, like, just randomly, you know, just in a, in a hustle and ran his keyboard through my little uh, Fender Bronco guitar amp, which I just had repaired. So at the time of the recording, it was not, it was funky. So the pianos sound cool, I guess, like, just like squashed kind of. Um, but yeah, so it, this rigged, quickly rigged little setup and I just press record and monitor the levels and actually got some really good performance. I mean, Jim's an amazing performer. So um, I sat on these recordings for a while and finally uh, cleaned them up and got them mixed. And uh, I am i don't know what I'm going to do with them. I might put them onto tape, do like a little release or something, figure out the right avenue to, to put it out. But I'm going to play a, uh, a quick song. I'm going to play you one song from that session. And without further ado... I see a little tear in your eye about to fall. You are wondering if I'm for real. But if you cry and wonder why I cry, I'll tell you.
But if you wanna know the truth about it, I just can't live without you. That's why I'm confessing my love for you. So I can Powerful performance from him. Um, I've got eleven songs. I think so. One of my goals was to start like a little recording outpost out here where musicians, bands could come through and record um, out here, and and obviously for myself as well. And uh, so there you go. So Jim was kind of like this before I was ready to go with it. I w- an opportunity was thrown at me, and I and I did the best I could. And I think. I'm going to start like a little record label, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to, I'm, I think I'm going to put this on tape because that's the easiest for me to do right here. I've got like a little tape set up where I can dub some tapes. Um, got to figure out how to print the cardstock, but I'll figure all that out and maybe release like, I don't know, 50 tapes or something like that. So maybe Orin Musket Records is what I'm thinking. Anywho, there you have it. Um, if you want to hear more of that, shoot me a message, and I can hook you up with another song or two. Um, but back to the woods. Fowles then goes on to discuss art and how we should value good art. That that good art is different from everything else in that it is true to the person, time, and place where it was made and therefore is a unique creation that could only belong to then and now. You know, that that time and place and who, and who was behind making it. <coughs> the unteachable part of art. You know, you can teach technique all you want, but good art requires some sort of human individual element. Um... He calls art and nature siblings, branches of one tree. Nowhere more than in the continuing inexplicability of many of their processes and above all those of creation and of effect on their respective audiences. Our approach to art has become scientized and dreadfully serious. You know, he talks about art critics, you know, having, you know, this... I guess I guess what I like about Fowles is that he's he's holding on a pedestal this outsider um, trueness this um, <clears throat> kind of uh, naive baseness of not knowing or caring to know how to explain or what is what knowledge is really not all that important in many ways. The what's more important is the ability to directly experience and to wholly be present and now in whatever you're doing to be true, um, both in 
our forays into the wilds and in our forays into uh, our experience in creating and our experience in living. An important element of <clears throat> what the woods offers me and what hopefully it will offer you is if you allow it to be this way, it's the mystery of it. It's the unknowing element of it. It's the, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's around that corner. Let's continue. Exploration. And in a world where we're so obsessed with knowing everything, uh, Google Maps with Wikipedia and all these things that are at our fingertips, there's no maps out here that are going to tell you exactly what you're about to see, what you're about to experience, or what lays around that corner. This true, direct experience with the wild world is, in a way, one of our last opportunities to be wholly alive in that moment in time. And it's a special thing. I think there are many people who are aware of that and, and seek it out in their lives. Um, currently... I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say I live in that kind of mentality all day because this has become my home. It's become normal. You know, even when I take my walks out around the. Pro it's a big property, and even when I take my walks around, that's not exactly the wild so much anymore. I mean, there's an element of it, right? I don't know what animals I'm going to come across. There's an element of wild, but it's my property. I know it by now. I know each step. You know. It's when I go out on a trail somewhere, or explore a different area off road, and then get out and walk. That's that's more true wild that it's exciting you know it puts you on your edge you, I like to be prepared you know so I get my backpack with all my gear you know you start thinking man what if what if you know am I ready for you know anything if I'm stuck out here what am I going to do to spend the night etc cetera, etc cetera. I get excited by that but it doesn't take it it doesn't have to be that extreme it could just be hey I went for a walk in the woods it was great and I didn't really care so much about what, where I was or what I was seeing, but it was special. Well, why, Joe? Why was it special? Uh, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's this element of, of uh, you can't explain experience. Experience is an abstract thing. We can do our best to kind of symbolize what we think we felt through language, but it doesn't, you cannot transmit pure experience. So... The beauty of the of Fowles is that he's saying, you know, it's on all of us to each, in our own way, go out and just experience it, and you'll understand why it's important. So, yeah, I mean, that's the gist of the book. So, let's see, are there any other quotes I wanted to get into? Uh, <clears throat> I have some of my notes. You know, being president, uh, being president, being present society's fear of purposelessness okay being surviving green chaos the woods as storytellers pure experience trees oh yeah the, the trees is the original temple okay the namelessness of things I like this okay see I think that kind of sums it up the woods, why it's important. Why it's important for humans and creativity. I think uh, you, we each need to answer that. And I hope that we all have some sort of connection with the wild natural world. You don't have to take it to an extreme and live in the national forest wilderness. You know, you could just go out to some sort of empty field near your house, wherever you live. Go out in the ocean. Go out somewhere. Uh, I'm sure you'll benefit from it. Um, so yeah, we're too used to being safe. It's nice to put yourself in a, in a position where you're not safe and you don't know everything about where you are. It's basically the gist of it. So yeah, I mean, I'll take the next few minutes. I mean, we're, we're, this is going to be a short episode. I'll take the next few minutes to kind of discuss, uh, some things that have gone on here. Um, I had the wildest, I had the wildest thing happen the other day. I was in a Braxis bookstore which is a bookstore in uh, Daytona Beach. And it's a fucking amazing bookstore, first of all. Exactly what I want in a used bookstore. 
You know, this one thing in Miami, I noticed there were no used bookstores, like very little, whichever ones existed, went either closed or just are bad. And uh, up here, there's so many. It's like my favorite thing to do is go dick around, uh, dick around, dig around a bookstore. And so there was a stamp in some book that I have that um, had the stamp of Abraxas Books that it once passed through their hands. And so I said, oh, it's a cool name. Let's uh, check it out. So I went there, and uh, it's it's as messy as a bookstore should be. It's kind of this controlled chaos. It's this huge space, you know, right on the main drag kind of, and they have a great selection of books. The owner was there, a really nice dude. And as I'm checking out, I have a little stack of books. He picks out one of them. He goes, oh, uh, I knew this guy, talking about the author. And the book was um, the sequel to the famous book, A Canticle for Leibowitz, uh, and which I had read years ago. And, and he had told me that Walter M. Miller, who was the author, uh, l- actually grew up and lived in Daytona Beach. And that when, right before this sequel book came out, 40 years after the original, he had been visiting the bookstore where this gentleman was, was working and was researching Native America for his work on this book. The interesting thing is, is that soon after his encounters with this guy, the guy committed suicide in a very uh, interesting way, um, which you read about. But uh, he was kind of hermetic. He was kind of uh, a shut-in. And so this guy was thinking that, you know, he might have been one of the very, you know, if not the only one of the few people that this guy spoke to um, in the last kind of weeks of his life. So that was kind of interesting. It was like a direct connection to uh, the place that I was in, um, a book that I love and am now rereading with a friend. Um, Unbeknownst to me, was written right near where I am currently living, which is interesting. So yeah, so that happened. Um... I had a great meal last night kind of to celebrate. Happy 4th of July, everyone. Uh, to celebrate uh, 4th of July, I had my neighbor, uh, Rich Graham, of Full Spectrum Warrior, over. I had Gavin and his wife, uh, Stacy, over. Stacy made this amazing American flag cake with, uh, with uh, strawberry bars and blueberry stars, um, which was delicious. Um, and uh, Rich brought his uh, his kind of... Uh, assistant, I guess, uh, really nice dude named Mike, and we all had a great meal, put some uh, steaks on the grill, and just had a good time. So, starting to connect a little, a little network here, make friends, and and create our own little uh, uh, kind of network here, and I'm feeling good about that. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. I, I'm, I guess I kind of touched on it earlier. I'm being super productive with music lately. Um, I'm finally comfortable here. Uh, I had my parents uh, in town last weekend, and my dad, we actually produced a song. My dad's always wanted to be a musician, right? Like, he can't play anything, but he's always seen himself as one. So I produced a track and let him sing over it, and it actually came out pretty good. Um, So that was, like, something really special uh, that I did, and it's cool. And yeah, I mean, everything's good. The goats are good. You know, we still got Larry with his broken leg. Hopefully it'll heal. If not, I might have a three-legged goat, unfortunately. Uh, My birds are good. Life is good. I will be doing a field recording um, from Bulo Hammock soon. Maybe this weekend. Probably Monday I'll go out. Monday or Tuesday I'll go out. Sit in the hammock. Here's the deal with Bulo Hammock. So I mentioned the book earlier. And in reading that book, it occurred to me that I think Bulo Hammock might be the site of this memory that I have as a child. So in the fifth grade, we took a Florida trip. And <clears throat> I remember being in this like verdant, lush kind of ruin area where there was like some stone ruins. And we were just kids, you know, and walking around and there were just plants everywhere. Um, I have that visual memory 
I know it was on our Florida trip. We were near St. Augustine, I guess, or between Orlando and St. Augustine, right? Which is here. I just have struggled to find where it is. And from my understand, from reading the book, I have a strong feeling that that might be the place. So I'm going to go ahead and drive out. I'll bring my recorder with me. And we'll do a field recording real soon from there. Hopefully it is the place I'm thinking of. And I, you know, backtrack and, and find the site of an early memory of mine. So that'd be cool. Uh, until then, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, I think moving forward here, I'm kind of, with this episode, I, tr- I tried to tackle some kind of abstract stuff here. And I think... I was talking with Gavin last night about this. Um, I think to move, to keep the podcast interesting and to help me move forward with it, I'm going to start uh, trying to to add a conversation element to the podcast. I'm going to start inviting guests on and have conversations that will add some variety to the topic, to the material here. You won't just have to listen to me. We'll be introducing new people. And I think it'll uh, help flesh out, for those of you that haven't been here, It'll or have, it'll flesh out um, kind of this place. You'll be meeting other people who are around here, which is kind of cool. Or guests that come up to visit. You know, b- uh, both ways uh, will be cool. So look, f- looking forward to that. Um, I do apologize again that this one took so long to get out, but uh, you know things are things have to come when they come. So thanks for sticking with me, guys. Keep listening. It's gonna get even more exciting from here. There's a lot coming up. There's a lot going on. Stay cool during the summer, and I will be speaking to you or with you. Sesli, hırslı, hangi kedilerdensiniz? Siz kardeşler hangi kedileri seversiniz? Hangi kediler gibi yaşamak istersiniz? Sevimli, uslu, sesli, hırslı, hangi kedilerdensiniz?